Oh, yes, that was lovely. Thank you. And you notice Joseph is playing and conducting? That's like asking me to preach and juggle at the same time. And I'm glad I don't have to do that. But thank you, Joseph, for the formation. (laughs) How are you all doing? Let's admit together these are complicated, difficult times. I'm reluctant to catalog all that is swirling around in our collective lives as citizens, not to mention the struggles each of us has individually. Instead, as we do and did earlier in the service, join me in taking a slow, deep breath together. It's not just good for our meditation and prayer time. I'm impressed by all who come up this hill today and each Sunday morning. Like a steady beat. I know some days there are obstacles you overcome to be here. But this repetition is a habit that shapes you. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty in the least if you don't come each Sunday. Circumstances can get in the way travel or illness or wrangling a child or coercing a teen, work, custody arrangements, soccer games, car trouble. And there are many other legitimate reasons people can't come to church on Sunday. If you come every once in a while or perhaps are new, Consider thanking those who are unwavering in their attendance because they've been holding a place for you. Some have been doing it for 50 years. Something in their life's formation makes coming to church a priority they would not miss. Maybe they grew up attending church. They see it as an important touchstone in their week. I feel off if I haven't been to church on Sunday, even before I became a minister. For some, coming to church is the chance to make music twice a week. For others, it's leading a class, learning something new, seeing dear friends, making new friends, just momentarily dispelling some loneliness. And maybe even to hear a sermon. This month's theme is formation, and it's meant as a technical religious term. Yet the word isn't out of place in a congregation with a majority of humanists. Spiritual formation describes a path and any related practices supporting an ethical and compassionate life. Attending worship regularly at Hope Unitarian Church is Unitarian Universalist formation. The words we repeat each Sunday are formation. Although to honor our shaking things up and waking up, we added new words in familiar spots. Did they kind of make you twitch or wonder? The hymns we sing, the words and music and ideas, they get in your head and your heart 
And then they begin to impact choices you make, advice you give, even that little inner voice advice. You know, you might do this instead. And actions you take. Lighting a chalice every Sunday morning, or at meetings, or at home, are acts of formation. And we have formal religious education with child, for children and adults. That's formation. And our monthly theme, small group discussions in reach, those are formation. Roots classes. Even the 12-step meetings that meet in our cabin, our log cabin, formation. So in broad terms, any action you take, reading, studying, attending, focusing, meditating, praying, moving, any action you take to turn your attention in a slightly different direction, I'll end up in a whole different place just by moving a few degrees. Anything that moves you from your default response is formation. It's a means of getting out of an unhelpful rut. It helps us rise out of that well-known rut where you may be stuck into a more healthy life-giving path, a path that will take you new places, new relationships, new satisfaction. Those who come each Sunday here place themselves in the path of formation, trusting its steady effect over time. So the word is that technical term because it's what takes place at a monastery, a seminary, a church, private meeting with some kind of spiritual leader, a web site you attend. You know, if being a better person, an effective person, simply took reading and studying and being smart, We'd all be saints. But we're human. Decidedly human with blind spots, individual experiences, different personalities and circumstances. So it takes a steady sanding, carving, reorienting, and an occasional sharp, unexpected jolt to reform us over a lifetime. I'd wager the people who don't come regularly or even quit don't believe that formation really works. They're too impatient. They get discouraged. They can be too idealistic and unrealistic, expecting perfection and change overnight, in a month, in a year. They miss out on the changes possible over a very long period of time. They miss out witnessing the change in others. Dang it, it's not all about me or you. It's a slow, steady drip. It's like that jagged rock being washed smooth and round. The changes take place over time. So along with many of you, I have that news cycle running in my head and the Jewish congregants gunned down in Pittsburgh 
They were the steady members of the Tree of Life synagogue, the ones who came for services no matter what. You may already know in the Jewish tradition, worship cannot be held without at least ten adults present. A minion, the Hebrew word for reckoning. It's a reckoning. And it's spelled M-I-N-Y-A-N. The minion of ten is the smallest quorum required for traditional Jewish public worship. Historically, the required quorum called for ten men, and all had to be over the age of 13. Now, in some reform and progressive synagogues and temples, it can be men and women. But this powerful rule, this minion, this insistence that nine won't do, eight won't do, two won't do, it's a rule that insists on community. It insists It shapes all who choose to make sure there are enough people to hold a service each week. So the core of Tree of Life's minion are the ones who were gunned down. I could talk about the lies and fear tactics claiming highly customizable assault rifles such as the AR-15 are necessary for the general public. Our nation's gun laws and philosophies deserve our religious and ethical responses. As we are formed as Unitarian and Universalists, we as a congregation need to be discussing these matters intelligently, thoughtfully, and faithfully. We need to collectively consider our church policies. Should we commit to being a gun-free zone? If so, why? If not, why? Should we be active in the community expressing and shaping our city in relationship to firearms? For example, let's note that lone shooters are not are not any part of a well-regulated militia as spelled out in the second amendment. Could we lead discussions that talk about the loan part of these tragedies without getting stuck into the weapons part? That's where we get bogged down, specifics of armament. Because we understand the value of a community, especially a community committed to diverse opinions. Can we name as a church that not all formation of human beings is healthy or leads to a world in which we want to live. When we talk about an angry, misinformed paranoid formed by hate spewing out of our media and social media, this restructuring of a heart and mind is dangerous. Part of the danger is in that mythology of a lone leader, a solitary agent of change. A savior. This myth of lone hero is not a new one, but ancient. Think of David and Goliath. But we are Unitarian Universalists, and we turn to a vast source of religious wisdom where we can dispel the myth of a lone savior and lift up that human work happens when we're in relationship with each other. <laughs> 
because in modern times we make heroes of any leader or agent of change who appears to act alone. It's in our vocabulary everywhere. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps alone. Make bold, impulsive moves alone. Need no experiences, just do it alone. Yet the best leaders surround themselves with many advisors and different points of view. They accept support of all kinds. When this type of collaborative leader, not a loner, takes a stand or an action that seems solitary, it is the result of shaping from all those consultations. It's a process of formation by others that undergirds what seems like a solitary act. You may imagine I'm only talking about today's hyper-political election scene. I am discussing that. But also, when our policies ignore that humans thrive as social animals, when our government ignores that keeping families intact forms the best citizens, it's a mistake to make laws that pretend removing social service and safety nets for the most vulnerable is saving our nation any money. We generalize that each individual can go it alone with harder work. We ignore the later costs, which are much more expensive. More expensive in mental health, social, and physical costs. This peeling away in the social net is a form of negative formation, destructive formation, making citizens distrustful, deceitful, even criminal. Do you remember when we had a poverty simulation a few years back? It recreated real-life situations that we enacted. We reenacted a very compressed period of time the pressures on families that were lived in poverty in this city. Yet, some of our smart, wonderful, upstanding citizens from this congregation took to lying and stealing and cheating to make ends meet, to get to work, to negotiate with institutions. It was hard. And then in that same simulation, we neglected to imagine ways we could collaborate, ways we could be more social animals. Because our unhealthy formation as a nation is for us to think about ourselves and our families only. We neglected to reach out to an older neighborhood in that simulation who could have moved in with a family. That person could have been an anchor for children from school, coming home from school. Our religious formation failed us that day. We didn't respond as we could have. And when much of a child's formation in school is based on competition, that creates this win-lose view of the world. And this plays out later in business and capitalism and religion. It's a mistaken notion in government when compromise and good, common good... Sorry, it's a mistaken notion, this notion of competition... where compromise and common good should be the driving forces, not winners take all. 
Let's go back to the issue of guns. If as a nation we so firmly believe in the right to bear arms because of the Second Amendment, let's accept that. Let's make sure it happens fully within a community context so it's not just another purchase, which is our solo thing we do. Let's firmly reattach the regulated militia part. Mine isn't a new or an original idea. I'm imagining a program of social shaping, a formation, a required form of civil learning. Any person who wishes to buy any type of gun must commit to training and rigorous formation to the point to learn to be part of a group that is well-regulated. A required civil service like Army Reserves where people learn to act and think in a group. Leave no one behind. The current discussion about guns is based on the mythic video game notion of a lone person who should be able to act as they wish and win. Hogwash. Have I gotten off topic? Not in the least. We are in formation everywhere and at each moment of our lives being in formation at hope is discerning which formation, which habits, which ruts, which tools are helpful and which are harmful. Our religious claim is that formation is never complete. We are always seeking, always on a path, not driven by creed, I believe, lone notion, but by the formation of a group held together with love and covenant. I want to be with people who know that human community is often warm and generous, sometimes challenging, and always a grand adventure. In short, I want to be formed by people like you. May it be so.